Hey, it's time for another episode of Down the Fandom Hole, conversations with me, Ayaka Spencer. Today's guest is Kendrine. I do want to apologize for the mix-up. This was supposed to be a group chat with Evangelion. Sadly, I couldn't make that happen. But thankfully, I was still able to get them on separately. And don't worry, for anyone who posed a question for both writers, I will be sure to pose them to each. Thank you for coming on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, well, thank you for having me, first of all. Uh, so, um, I'm Kendrine, or Dren, as most people call me, and I've been writing on and off since I was a teenager. Um, I come from the old days of, uh, first we had Yahoo uh, message boards, and then we had GeoCities, and then we had fanfiction.net. And, and now we have AO3, thankfully, which is, you know, the, the best evolution we could ask for. And now also we have Patreon and sometimes, you know, we're lucky enough that um, people uh, want to subscribe and support us when we write. So we, ha- we, we have uh, the means to um, get an income out of what we do. Um, and I just like wanted to... Mm, Take a moment to thank all the people that literally have kept food on the on the table for me this year uh, because of the pandemic has been um, kind of hard with my job and so uh, yeah without my patrons it would have been much much harder so I just you know thanks to everyone that's been with me throughout the year and uh, hopefully we'll have more years to come of good content I hope so that's pretty much all there is to know about me. I write lots of ink, lots of smut, and some of in-between comedy sometimes. And that's it, I think. So what's your, you know, being a fanfic writer, what's your one true pairing? You know, one OTP, like which one do you love the most? Um... Oh, that's a tough question. I think even though I really don't write them anymore and what I've written of them is probably nowhere to be found. Um, I think my, my OTP must be uh, Tara and Willow from Buffy the, One, the Vampire Slayer mostly because that was the first time I saw myself on TV. Um, I I was uh, in, I think, the first year of high school, mid-year here uh, in my country. And so I just, you know, I just have that attachment to that ship because it's the ship that I was like, hey, wait a minute. So there, there are people like me, you know, which at the time, internet wasn't very, um, it wasn't as, as, pervasive as it is now and it was harder to meet like-minded people even in fandom and and so just seeing myself on the screen for the first time was a big deal so I think that that despite you know me loving a lot of other pairings I think that's my my favorite one just because it's the first one that I fell in love with yeah it's funny when you are able to see something on like the big screen or even television Suddenly, it makes your existence feel validated in a way. Because I remember reading this book, Little Fires Everywhere, by, I think, Celeste 
Ning, if I'm saying her name correctly. And she talks about how um, um, she didn't, she had a hard time visualizing herself in part as part of society until she was able to see herself on television. And, you know, thinking about how pervasive and how far reaching television media is and even movies are, it, it kind of makes you want to try to, I don't know, expand content more. And I think that's a good thing that fan fiction can do for us, you know? Um, it allows us to expand the bases that people have started with shows and movies that touch fans' hearts. And then they can create new pairings or they can create new stories and narratives and the sky's the limit, basically. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it, it's definitely sometimes, you know, um, you either you either see um, stories, uh, stories that fix canon if in it's fixing and I, you know Klaxa comes to mind on, on that um, aspect or you see these AUs that have nothing in common with the source material except like the characters but they're thrown in so many different situations it's just like reading a whole new novel and sometimes people create their own universes to tell their stories. So it's really such a range of things that you can find when you when you read fan fiction. And then it helps if you then want to try and write your own stories as original work. Fan fiction is a, a good a good exercise. I, I'd say, and I don't want to say exercise in a way that discounts what fan fiction is because it takes as much work as uh, writing uh, something that's just yours. But it helps to improve you as a to to make you improve as a writer. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I've noticed the evolution of my own writing while writing fan fiction, and it's like also because I do beta work and I help another writer. It's like it just doubles the ability for you to just be able to synthesize your thoughts in your head into something that can be understood on the page, because like. I know for a fact that when I first started, my writing was absolute crap. Like, it was terrible. But thankfully, it's gotten much better over time. Have you seen that too, like, writing as much as you do? Because you write beautifully. And, you know, being a non-native speaker, um, it's, or I'm assuming you're a non-native speaker. I'm so sorry for that assumption. But, um, you know, you have such a good grasp of the English language that me as a native speaker, I'm like, oh my God, she's so much better than me. Um, yeah, uh, well, you, you're not wrong in your assumption as English is not my first language, even though I've, um, I've lived in, in, uh, in an English-speaking country. I've lived in America for a couple of years. And um, I have studied applied linguistics uh, so applied to English, so that helps greatly uh, when I'm building on grammar and syntax and uh, all the figures of speech that you use um, in English. But definitely, 
um, if I go back to the first, even just the first uh, fanfics that I have on AO3 that are from 2016, um, sometimes I go back and reread stuff and I'm like, that's gross. I hate it, you know? <laughs> Um, sometimes I even go back to stuff that I wrote last year and I'm like, that's gross. I hate it. How, how, how are people liking this? Like, I, I, you know, like you say, I'm, I'm such a good writer and I'm like, where? I don't know if that's common to, to all writers, but, um, for me, it's a constant, um, I'm not good enough, Mm -hmm. uh, in my head even as I write. Um, unfortunately, oh, I can't read that much because of my eyesight. So I tend to prioritize writing. Um, and, and I usually don't read that much from fiction um, to begin with. But, um, and this is, this this will sound I don't want it to sound uh bad because it's not my that's not that's not what I mean. Sometimes I'm like, why should I read that fantasy AU AU when I can write mine? But not because the the fantasy AU AU that's on AO3 is bad. It's just that I wanna tell my story. And so uh, partly is me and poor eyesight and partly is me rather I, I i'm rather if i have to pick i'd rather tell stories than read stories even though reading also greatly helps you improve as a writer um either read some fiction or read published works but just read a lot um mm -hmm. especially if you're not native because you pick up language rules and ways of saying things that you're not taught in school mm -hmm. so that you can include them in your own writing uh there are some like turns of phrases that you don't that don't teach you in school and the first time i came i come across them when i read them like what does that mean sometimes i don't know and so then mm -hmm. i'm like oh it means this oh i can use that i've been using like a, maybe a synonym this whole time but this sounds better you know, so it, it does help you build um, your language when you read. There's some other ways you've built your vocabulary and grammar? Uh, watching a lot of movies and watching a lot of TV shows in the native, in the language I want to write in. I, I guess I have the, the small advantage that I have is that I, uh, I've always had a knack for languages. I speak six. Um, language total and and I understand more or less about 10 so to me it's just like it's never been too hard to understand the way a language works and I think that that's kind of the, the one thing I'm good at you know is languages so well your writing is definitely showcasing that um knack you have for the written language and the spoken language I say I think um so what are some of your um favorite fandoms or ships um I guess fandom or that grabbed me or shows that grabbed me in the past few years uh definitely 
Supergirl and like my main ship for that is Supercorp and the 100 and my my ship for that would be Klaxa. Then, you know, if we go to, uh, I guess, I really have a soft spot for person of interest and uh, Ruth and Shaw. Uh, but really all the characters of that show are good. Um, why not Earth? Uh, way hot. And and then there are some others that I like, that I like to write for, but that are minor compared to these. I guess that, that those are the main ones. But yeah, their parent is adorable. I love Nicole. <laughs> she's just like such a, she's such a sweetheart to Waverly. I'm like, oh, I want that kind of lesbian. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's, it's a good it's a good pairing, and um, I guess that show I liked overall because it's just so campy and crazy. Um, you never know. It's not one a show that there are serious moments. But overall, it's a show that can laugh at itself. And I like that. Whereas, like, if you compare it to other shows, like the the ones that I talked about, like The 100 or Supergirl, sometimes they try to be too serious mm-hmm. and too heavy. And it, 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 like, especially, like, not The 100, but, like, Supergirl, I would love if they they had gone the monster of the week, the alien of the week route, instead of like for for example the last season with this overreaching plot about Leviathan, where you're kind of left with so what? Because obviously, unfortunately, they had to cut it short because of the pandemic, and I feel like mm-hmm. a show like that should have had a few more episodes where they were a bit more it was a bit more fun, you know, to just see the comic book side of things, which is not always serious, even if you read the comics. Mm-hmm. They're not all, they're like not all doom and gloom, even even Superman or Supergirl or any DC comics. There are some arcs that are fun and, and, and light and comedic. And I wish they had retained some of that. Yeah, it would have given a nice lightness to the um, show overall, especially since so much of it is... Um so serious unnecessarily sometimes no yeah it it's just like what you said it's, it's so serious and i feel like sometimes it's just like serious and dramatic just for the sake of drama but it doesn't really forward the plot so you're left there and it just doesn't at least to me you know this is all these are all my personal opinions obviously but mm-hmm. it doesn't resonate as deeply because you like get drama but it's it only feeds itself. It doesn't for it doesn't make the characters grow, and they don't. They're not allowed to process their trauma. They're they they they're put through, and so you're just left like, okay, this happened, but then what? What's what are the consequences? You know, to the characters, and it seems like you never get that, or you get it very very seldomly get that uh, sort of exploration. I. No, you're right. And I think one of the things about Way Hot um, and the whole Winona Earp universe is that it is much more fun and there is the seriousness involved and they do have a larger plot, but then they have a bunch of small, funny subplots and easy um, to digest plots. 
and I I don't I don't know if it's me, but I think Emily Andrus, who also did Lost Girl, which is one of my all time favorites, even though I I think it's such a great show. I don't write fan fiction for it. Um, I think she brought that levity because there was that levity in Lost Girl, even though they had those hard plot lines as well. You know, there were the funny ones where I think Bo and this guy who acted like Tony Stark were um, trying to find this person who was sucking the life out of people. It's been a while since I've watched it. So anyone who is listening and likes Lost Girl and I've just messed it up, I apologize. Um, But I think the showrunner is a big key part of whether or not a show is going to have that levity um, incorporated into the show itself, you know? Uh, yeah, no, I agree. And in that, and on, on, on the other end, it also just seems like the shows that are on the CW don't get to have that balance of, um, yes, dramatic, um, tough, sad moments and some more light-hearted stuff happening. Uh, it always seems to me that they're all just like one angsty moment after the other. Um, but maybe maybe I have the wrong impression. I don't know. It just seems like a network thing to me. Do you think they're more concerned about, just your opinion, do you think they're concerned more about ratings than they are about content? I think, well, ratings get you ads, get you sponsors, get you money. So I guess that, you know, the end goal of the network is is the ratings. But if you can't retain your audience, then you could have a stellar first season. And then if the subsequent seasons just decline, it doesn't matter because your ratings are going to go down anyway. So... I don't, I, I guess it should be there, like, I, from a marketing and, and profit standpoint, I guess, yes, but if it is, it doesn't feel sometimes like they're doing a good job about keeping the ratings up. No, because they seem to fluctuate and they forget about what they've done in the previous episodes or previous seasons, so there's no continuity, Right. I'm like watching the five seasons just to remember what Supercorp was for, which was dumb because I'm like, oh, it just kind of tells you about who Luna is, which you can fully get from reading set fan fiction. Um, didn't really add anything necessarily to like storylines and things when I wrote them because I, I stay so far away from canon unless I'm like just using their characterizations and stuff. But yeah, yeah. So what do you like about the Supercorp pairing that do you feel like it that the actors themselves, if you have watched the show, help to kind of give it more of a nuance and a richness that you can use in your stories or, you know, what kind of what do you think is so successful about Supercorp? Because I think it's one of the better ones on AO3, if my understanding is correct. Um, well, first of or maybe all, maybe I'm biased. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, first of all, um, I just like watch everything Katie McGrath is in it because I just like her as an actress. Um, I think they have she and Melissa Benoit have 
I don't even know if I said it right. I apologize if I butchered the last name. Um, they have great chemistry on screen and they definitely made the, the interaction between Kara and Lena probably more than even the writers expected. Like they, 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 they gave them such a, the characters such a life um, that I, I, I don't think the, the writers expected these, uh, the ship to be so popular maybe and so successful. And that's because of the work the actresses have done. Um, and I just, yeah, I just like the, 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 the way they act. I think the, um, the show has really some great actors, not just them, but um, Kryler and, and all the others, um, Azzy, they, they, they're all great. They all bring something to the table. And I just feel bad that, like you said, there is very, sometimes there's, there's no continuity and the plot is kind of eh, hit or miss. Um, mm-hmm. Because they, they could be, they, they could do so much more and they're doing a lot already. Um, and, and yeah, so that, that's, I think the reason why I'm drawn to the, to the ship so much is because of how it's portrayed on screen. Even though, obviously, if you ask the writers, there are no ships, I guess. But if you look at how they act on screen, the undertones are all there. Uh, whether they're accidental, like whether the writers wrote them in, wrote, wrote it as a really deep friendship, but didn't account for the undertones or whether it's because of the acting, uh, to me, it just, there's no way they're not, they don't have feelings for each other when you see them act on screen, the, the, the characters, you know? So that, I, I think that's why there's so much um, content for that shit. Because of the undertones being there and then just people just go like, from one scene, they can create this whole story, you know. So basically, they're feeding the foundation that the actors have kind of created through their own acting and interactions. I think so, yeah. So was it, what kind of got you started in fan fiction? Was it frustration over like Vlad plot lines that kind of like what Supergirl has? Or was it like something else? Um, it was just, I always liked writing and mm-hmm. so when I got my first computer and I finally got internet access, um, the first natural thing was to look for ways that I could write, uh, maybe write with other people. And I, I found these friends approved um, a Yahoo message board and we used to write stories together uh, some, of, some of them were for Buffy, a few were for Harry Potter at the time um, and then from there it just I guess it just snowballed from, from, from that and I just kept um, writing on and off Yeah, no, I know what you mean, I love collaborating with people, I think that's one of the big reasons why I like being a beta or 
um, more of a collaborator really is because, you know, maybe someone's written this amazing thing, but it's just a little shy and it needs just a little new flavor or something. And then, you know, you can bring that flavor and then it grows and it evolves and it becomes this, this much more poetic thing. You know, it's just, it's nice to work with people and kind of build off of each other's energy. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely does. Um, so this is a funny question. What is the biggest biscuit you can fit in your mouth? Um, so I, I'm normally not somebody from that, that likes uh, sweets. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more of a savory uh, food kind mm-hmm. of person. Um, but there was this time um, when I was in, in college, um, because I also studied in the U.S. for a time, um, where they sell those big store-bought cookies with the, usually, I don't know, it's like chocolate chip or macadamia or a bunch of other things. That are the, the big round flat ones. Like they're six inches big, like they're huge. Yeah, those huge ones that you get in those clear plastic containers and there was like 30 of them and they keep for six months. (laughs) They they don't go bad. Um, (laughs) And we were having a little, it wasn't a party, it was just a little get together with some other people. And it was basically a dare to see if some, one of us could fit one of those cookies in the mouth and the thing is that they they're not hard and dry they're kind of moist a little bit and they fold so if you sort of push it and fold it you can achieve such a thing but then you really need to have a glass of milk or anything at the ready to not suffocate and die so I wouldn't recommend it yes that's the biggest cookie mm-hmm. I have ever fit in my mouth Wow, that's a pretty big cookie. Yeah. So on a more serious note, do you ever want to like write your own original work and like maybe publish it that isn't fan fiction? Uh, yes, I do have some uh, things that I'll start pushing on with the new year that I've been working um, for this entire year on and off. Um, some of it is well. The, the bigger the bigger chunk really is a retelling of folklore stories through a fan fan slash perspective. So mm-hmm. I'm trying. I'm doing. I'm doing some of that, uh, and and some of that stuff is gonna see the light of the day next year. Oh, nice. Are you going to post it to your Patreon or is it something you'll be like doing through like Amazon I'll, digital? I want to, I will, I, I would like my patrons to see it first and then if uh, it, it's received well, I probably once I've posted them all, I'll do an anthology and post it on Amazon, like self-publish. I have to look more into that, but that's, that's the end goal. Probably need to find an editor as well um, just because I want it. If I self-publish it on Amazon, I would like it to be proofread by some some uh, professional. So, 
yeah, you're definitely going to want to have someone who knows the ropes and things. Um, I know Douglas among us, he does editor. He helps writers with that kind of stuff. So I don't know if that's something you would like to check out with him. Um, But is it scary to want to put your original works out there? Because I know when I published a poem on my AO3, I was very nervous. It hasn't gotten any likes, which is fine. But it's nerve-wracking to put it out there and show people your original work. I'm always scared when I post something. I, um, because even when uh, when I write uh, fanfic for AO3 um, and I put it up on AO3, it's still um, nerve-wracking to me because I'm like, what if uh this theme is too much what if you know um people won't like this thing or so it's always a bit nerve-wracking i think to um to to write in general uh and and then show it to other people because you're like it's like you build, you build this sand castle and you're very excited about it and mm-hmm. You, you you then people come over to look at it and you you're like look this took me the whole day to do what do you think and some people will love it and let you know and some people will like it and see some flaws and they'll they'll say it's good but you know like maybe they'll give you some constructive criticism in a nice way and then there'll be a few that'll just knock it up they'll just knock it down and mm-hmm. that's always um, that's always uh, I guess tough to to just be faced with the rejection I guess um, yeah especially when it's not the it's not kind like my my take is uh, even when I go to the bookstore and buy a book and I start you know you you don't get tags on on a bookstore right you go and maybe the uh the staffer will tell you oh this one might you might like compare like they ask you what you like and then they're like oh well maybe you like this book then since you like you like that one or that genre but you don't get a description except for what's on the back and sometimes you will spend money on a book and the book will not be something that you like um you just put Mm -hmm. it back on the shelf or you give it to a friend that maybe likes it better than you and you don't tell you don't go up to the published author and say your book sucks and I hate you personally um sometimes that happens with (laughs) with some fiction no that's true you can get some questionable um comments on your on your um work there but, um, wouldn't it be great if the back of book jackets were instead of the author's note it had a list of tags like has dubious consent has indications of rape <laughs> you know um, you might not like this book <laughs> it would make it so much more easier to find good books or at least books that you know fully tickled your fancy yeah I'm, maybe I'm, who knows uh, that are I think that's 
the main reason why I like the tag system on on AO3 is that as a writer, it lets you go through your story and think about what are the major things that could be triggering or upsetting to people. And you mm-hmm. put warnings for those. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you you will not always catch everything because something very harmless to one person can be very triggering to another because we all have different life experiences. But at the very least, you can go through the major ones that you know people can be upset by and tick them off if needed. And so mm-hmm. somebody can just like read the summary, read the tags and say, okay, this story is not for me. I'm not going to read it. And it's happened to me that I've read published books where I had to stop because I couldn't, there wasn't a bad book. It wasn't, it, it wasn't the, the, the fault of the author, but there was a theme that I thought I could handle and I couldn't. And I had to close the book down. And put it away. So mm-hmm. if you have tags, at least for major stuff on books, I think at the very least, or at least even have a back, you know, on the back cover, you have have a summary that actually kind of tells you what the story is about a little bit without mm-hmm. spoilers. So you get a little bit of an idea because lately some of the back covers are like just no info. A lot of yeah. a lot of books. They used to be more. Um, they used to have more, more of a like a summary, and now sometimes it's just like an extract of the book that doesn't really help you understand what a book's about. Yeah, maybe maybe it's the um, the most interesting part of the book, and then you're like, oh, this seems like a good book, and then you read it, and you're like, oh, that was the most interesting part of the book, and then it's not like you can take the book back once you've cracked open the spine. So you're like. It's, maybe it's um it's by design. You're like uh, I feel like maybe I'm being manipulated here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just think how much easier it would be if they had tags in the back instead of uh, summaries or like what's the um, praise for the author and stuff. Yeah, some my bookstore, one of the bookstores I go to in town has tags on the bookshelves. They have little post-it oh, notes on the books that come out that month that the staff reads, they will, you know, split them up among them and read them and they'll give you little blurbs on what the book's about. And if it's got major triggers, they will list them. So some bookstores do that, which is, I think it's cute. I think it's funny. And sometimes you get these, uh, these summaries from, from the staff that are like hilarious. Um, and I think it's a it's a way to to also make the bookstore feel like a place where you can get guidance if you don't know what to read. Because sometimes you go to the bookstore without an idea what to buy, and you wanna ask mm-hmm. staff for a recommendation. So that's that's a way to do it. Yeah, I hope the bookstore, the neighborhood bookstore, doesn't become like a dying industry, especially now with the pandemic. That would be kind of sad. I enjoy going into bookstores and, you know, being able to touch books. I do like touching books, which I I hope doesn't sound weird. (laughs) But, you know, the feel of paper and 
opening it up and then looking and reading and going, is this going to be a good book? And then, you know, it, it turns out to be a bad book, but then it turns out to be a good book. And you're like, oh, this is pleasantly surprising. Yeah. And I definitely but, get what you mean about the feeling of a book. Very tactile, right? It like lights up your senses or something. They also smell new when you open them. They smell like the breath. I don't know. That's true, right? It's a nice smell. It's like, oh, it's the smell of creation. I don't know. (laughs) I'm only kidding. But um, (laughs) uh, you're writing it. Spans kind of like the spectrum. You have comedies. You have kinky smuts. You have hard things. You have hard stories. Do you ever worry about when younger age people might read your stories and like what they might think of it? Um, I, that, that's the other reason for PAG. Um, I try my best to tag appropriately. Uh, so when there is explicit sex in a story, I will tag it explicit. Um, for the rest, uh, most of my stories are mature anyway, just for the theme. Um, so I, I do my best to also like tag in like the specific tags that you type into AO3 to tag everything that I can think of at the time of posting. And I sometimes go back and review tags also based on what people tell me. Sometimes people will come to me and say, oh, could you please tag that? Um, and I'll consider it always, um, especially if somebody comes, comes to me and it's like, could you please tag this because of these reasons, you know, um, I, I'm sure that there are younger people that read my story, uh, because I know I did read stories that were tagged explicit when I was young. And I think that as long as the writer has done all they can to target and warn people of the content, then it's there. There's uh, an onus on the writer to do that, and then there is an onus on the reader to know and decide what is and isn't appropriate for them to read at their age. And I can't control that, so I don't really. I worry about tagging. I don't worry about the rest. Uh, not because I don't care, but because there are things that are out of my control. And if people want to access content, they will find it. Yeah, that's true. It's not like you can hide things from them. And even if you didn't tag it explicitly, they're still going to read it. If they like it, they're going to like it. And if they don't like it, they'll put it down, like you were saying, for the book you were reading. And, you know unfortunately it's not something we have any control over except for the content we make and i think if you're thoughtful about it and the your story which could be explicit and could be very dark and hard follows a trajectory where it eventually there's closure and there's some sort of change to it that makes the hard stuff not so bad. I think it's just part of life. I mean, some of the stuff that 
fan fiction writers write are, you know, pretty fair accounts of a life, but they're just using other characters to convey that message and convey that story. So it's not something you have any control over. You just hope for the best, really. Yeah, I think that every kind of story has the has its place. Um, you need comedy and and fluff and stories about a first date as much as you need stories about the effects of neglect, the effects of um, losing somebody the effects of mm-hmm. war or a pandemic, for example, can have on people mm-hmm. and how they can change lives. Like, because if writing, to me at least, is an exploration of what makes us human. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, it's not all good. It's not all happy. There are things that are harder to deal with and that's why for example I like to write about blindness as much as it is Mm -hmm. not a easy topic to write about because I feel that if there are other people that are going through what I am going through with my eyesight maybe it if the story at the end of the day shows you that you know that it's not just despair it's not just yeah it's hard but it's manageable and you can you can coexist with it it can you know i i don't want to say i don't want to assume it'll help people to come to terms with things but maybe it it goes back to seeing yourself in a story you know seeing yourself on the screen see yourself mm-hmm. in a book um, maybe it can improve somebody's day tangentially. That's enough for me. And and I think that uh, I've read some very sad stories, but left they left me enriched, even though they were sad. And even if the ending wasn't what you consider a complete happy ending was more like bittersweet maybe but it still leaves you with some something some thoughts or some emotions and I, I think we need we need all kinds of stories um, really that's, that's no it, yeah I mean those are my favorite kind of stories myself where you have the hard moments but then they triumph or they don't triumph and they kind of get beaten down by it. And then maybe later they, they um, triumph over it. And then it's like interspersed with like angst and fluff and smut. And, you know, basically like, like I hate reality shows, but I like books that offer a better glimpse of reality because like reality shows are a little bit too fabricated for my tastes, but you know, a good, well-written kind of honest book, that's like my kryptonite. I love those kind of books. But then there's those ones, those times when you just want fluff. Nothing but teeth, rotting fluff. And, you know, or just like the hard stories or like just the full-on porn with no plots. And 
fan fiction definitely delivers. <laughs> yeah. You can find anything on that. <laughs> so what's the favorite, what's your, what's the story you've written so far that's been your favorite? Or do you have like maybe top threes? Uh, that I've written. Um... And why? Uh, so. Right now, well, it's funny because uh, it's three stories that are I'm currently working on that are not finished. Um, so the first one is uh, Liver, the Gorgon EU that I'm writing. Oh, God, I love that one. Um, just because I have... It's the story of how a chance encounter and... Uh, an accident, really, because it's something that can can or can cannot happen to you. Like being being mugged. Um, mm-hmm. Some people go through life without, luckily, w- without having to deal with that. Some people actually have to experience it, and how how something so negative and can lead you to a chance encounter where to beings that are technically so far apart from one another because one is a gorgon and one is a human and then find so the human figures out that legends aren't always true you know Mm -hmm. and the gorgon figures out that despite everything they're still human after all so that's that's a story of 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 connection um then there's uh that then there's an uh, I'll fly back to you always uh which is a mm-hmm. story of reconnection um uh, both with somebody a friendship and a person you have feelings for that you thought was lost to you and a reconnection with a part of yourself specifically uh the red daughter part of Kara um, that mm-hmm. is like a force she's forced to come to terms with uh, which was never something that was never addressed in the show how Kara absorbs the Red Daughter but then there's no side effects like she doesn't even dream in Russian or has no memories of, of that they're too you, you absorb another being there, there's bound to be some Tilt left over in you, and it, plus, I feel like that could have been a treasure trove of understanding Lex. Because yeah, it's, it's you know, he was a completely to, different to person with surface, her. Right, it's something that is bound to come out, mm-hmm. and it's not not ever addressed, not once. Um, and I wanted to put my own spin to it. Um, mm-hmm. and then the other one is uh, uh never have I ever, um, because. That's a story about um, figuring out, uh, feeling like you have no place, like you're never fitting in with the other people and the expectations other people have of you and figuring out yourself with the help of someone else that you fall in love with as you go. That starts with a friends with benefits arrangement, but then they catch feelings and you have to deal with that. And it, it's gotten, Kara is non-binary in that story. I am non-binary. So in part, it's my experience on how I came to terms and I'm still coming to terms with that 
Yeah. I'm still coming to terms with my own sexuality and trying to figure out what it is that I like. Like, I know I like girls, but I also know that I also like boys, but that I like girls more. And, you know, it's... It would be nice if it was just so easily accepted in the society as well, instead of having to have the whole concern over whether or not you're in an area where people aren't going to receive that very well. And, you know, add that to the fact that you have to come to grips with it yourself. It's it's just so much more complicated than it really should ever be. I mean... Someone's sexuality shouldn't really be that big of a deal if they're not trying to harm other people. You know, it's just something that's part of them. But then you have all these outliers of things you have to deal with society-wise that may not always be so safe to be able to be yourself in. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or or people try to define you and put you into boxes because otherwise they're like, well, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I hate when people are like, well, I don't understand what you are then. And I'm like, what, what, what does it matter to you? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And it's cause their box is just so tiny. And I'm like, even myself as being part of the community, I have a hard time sometimes understanding it as well. And I'm just like, wait, I'm, I'm thinking too small. I need to widen my perspective and I need to make it bigger and there's space for this and it's okay. And this is really about my insecurities because I don't want to hurt anyone by saying something wrong. So I want to try to understand it, but it scares me too, you know? And I hope The worst thing that I could think for myself doing to someone else is to make them feel invalidated and unimportant and like their existence doesn't matter. But it's also scary to realize that what you grew up understanding as maybe one and two, there's actually three, four, five pi. You know, Mm -hmm. there's just so much richness that can be that can be daunting to try to understand. And if you're unwilling to accept that and go, Hey, it's okay that I'm uncomfortable. I need to make this person comfortable. And maybe by making them comfortable, I'll be able to accept it and become comfortable. So it's like getting into that area of vulnerability that I think too many people don't want to be part of because being vulnerable has always been looked down as bad. But being vulnerable helps you connect with people. You know, you're like, I'm humbling myself because I realize I'm in the wrong. So please accept my gift and don't take it the wrong way kind of thing. Um, that got a little heavy. No, but, uh, but I agree. It's, um, it's not always easy to, to know. Um, even when you're in the community and keep up with all the terminology, especially when you're not. Um, the pace the community moves in America, for example, on things, it's different than how we move in Italy. Um, mm-hmm. And so sometimes 
the the the, the struggles the are different too or can be because we're at different stages on our path but the thing is if somebody gives you a label that you don't understand it doesn't matter that you it, it, it it's not about you it's about them and if they apply a word to themselves just accept it what is it what is it to you you know they're not mm-hmm. applying it to you or to the community at large they're called they're, they're they found a box that they like and it's comfortable for them and maybe there is a blanket and a pillow in it and they're like well you know mm-hmm. what this is my box now and i think the least you can do if you want to be a decent person is to say i respect that that's your box even if i don't understand it because we we don't there are experiences that we can hear about that people if they want can share with us but that we might never understand and that's fine we don't have to understand everything to accept it that's my take um on on anything really is whatever works for the person whatever makes them happy because i think the worst the worst thing that you can say to somebody is like well but i don't understand why you would call yourself that or why would you do that or if it's not something that's affecting you personally why do you care that's true right it's like you know who i love doesn't matter i'm not trying to get your girlfriend i'm not trying to get your wife <laughs> you know you, you've got this hopefully stable relationship so why do you care whether or not i love someone else or someone who's of the same sex as me, you know? Uh, so much. But that's, but like, I hate to bring it back to fan fiction. No. Or I love bringing it back to fan fiction, I guess. Because you can create these worlds. You can create a world where there's a non-binary person who's trying to figure out their non-binariness, you know? Or you can, um, you can put out there a fan fiction where someone's trying to understand other people's points of view and their sexual orientations and be honest about your feelings and be respectful of it at the same time, you know, and by working it out through fan fiction, maybe it helps you work through it yourself. And then maybe it helps someone else, you know, like, Oh, this person was honest. They, they weren't afraid to say, I don't understand. And it scares me, but I'm willing to sit here and, my state of uncomfortableness and learn, you know, because learning something new is never easy. It's like you were an amazing gymnast when you first started. You either sucked royally and you got better or you had a natural talent. But for the most part, people suck royally and then they just have to realize that it's okay to suck and then just get better at it and suck less overall. At least that's what I think. So do you have any advice to people who um, want to start writing? Like, what, how do you, because you say that um, whenever you put something out there, it always causes you to be nervous and have anxiety. What do you do? For, how did you start writing? Did you just start it and you're like, oh, I found this. I'm going to write it. If it's shit, it's shit. If it's great, it's great. Um, what's your kind of advice for someone who wants to do it themselves? Um, I think the, 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 the fear of what other people will think of what you write or the fear of people rejecting what you write 
uh, never leaves. It, it lessens, but it never really leaves. Um, and I think that at some point you just have to say, well, screw it. It's a story I want to tell. And I want to write it firstly for me. And then I want to show people this thing I made. And, you know, it, it, it might, um, it, it will actually be disappointing when you don't get the hits or you don't get the comments or you don't get the kudos. But there will be people that like what you write. Um, and they will far exceed the people that won't like what you write. And a lot of the time I've noticed also that the reception um, of a story on, on AO3 and even before AO3 on some fiction, there were great stories that went overlooked. There were good stories that, you know, got a lot of attention. There were sometimes it happens there's a story that you don't understand why people like it, but they like it so much. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't understand how or why. Like maybe it's even a story with no editing on it, but people read it anyway because maybe the, the story itself, the plot itself, is good. Um, it, it, it really, you luck out a lot of the time, and sometimes you have something that you think it's really great, and then you get little to no response to it and then you have something and you're like it's okay but I don't think I can make it better than this I have it anyway and people will go feral over it and you're like why you never understand <laughs> you'll never understand it and it's fine um, at the end of the day for me um, I feel bad giving this advice because I'm so bad at following it but Write for yourself first. If it's a story you want to write, it doesn't matter if it's the 100th coffee AU about that pairing. It doesn't matter if somebody wrote a, I don't know, uh, Indiana Jones AU already. It doesn't matter. Write your own. Do your own thing because you bring something to whatever you're going to write that it's just uniquely yours and there will be people out there that will like it and at the end of the day no I'm, at the yeah. end of the day um just write what makes you happy if it's if it's a story that interests you just write it so much of the stories that we see on on media or any form of media are just the same tropes over and over it doesn't matter uh I don't know, you take mm, Tolkien was inspired by their, their, you know, so, so much folklore in the Lord of the Rings and all of fantasy has, if you look through epic fantasy, for example, you see the same themes over and over in different worlds, but it doesn't matter. If there's one chocolate cake and you just want to make another chocolate cake, make it. People are hungry. They will eat yours as well. It doesn't matter if there's 10 cakes that are the same cake. Like, everyone wanted to make a sucker torta today. It doesn't matter. Somebody will come along that is hungry and will take a slice of your cake. And just 
No, that's true. And it'll taste a little different from the other cakes. Right? That's not going to, yes, it's a chocolate cake, yeah. but it's not going to taste the exact same way as that other chocolate cake. When you make a cake from scratch with the same recipe, mm-hmm. it's still going to taste slightly different, won't it? Like yours will taste, uh, maybe you put a little bit more caramel, maybe, I don't know. It's just going to taste a bit different and it's fine. And they're both good cakes, right? Mm-hmm. And people are going to be happy if you bring more cake. I just like, as long as there's cake. So as long as there's stories, people will be happy, I think. So my advice to people that want to start writing and writing um, and then posting it on AO3 is write about what interests you. Um, start small, maybe like try and write uh, one shot or or a two free chapter story at first that is more self-contained. If you've never written, especially before, instead of writing forty chapter of something and then getting you know you don't get motivated to finish it, maybe and uh, do take the time to edit a little bit um, and take, you know, the occasional um, grammar error or typo will escape everyone. I find typos in Mm -hmm. books that are, go to much more proofreading than what I do for for fan fiction. Um, do, Mm -hmm. Do some editing do some formatting. There is nothing, I think, um, that turns people off more than a story that has no paragraph breaks. It's just one long paragraph. It's a, it's, maybe it's great. It's just really hard to read it. because Yeah, it kind of just becomes like a jumble of it, words. Because I do that myself, and then I have to look for the breaks. It, it's a wall of text, and you you got to break it up. <laughs> Break up those big stacks, then, people. Break them up. And then, up. you know, it's fine if you use a, you just keep a comma or you use a word the wrong way. It's okay. Um, as the more you write, the, the better it gets also, uh, the easier it gets to edit and catch your own mistakes or find a better. Yes. And also just be ready for rejection because that's going to happen no matter what. And hopefully people will be kind, but... You know, sometimes they won't be, but that's okay. That just means that you touch something in them. Not necessarily the bone you wanted to touch, but definitely something. (laughs) So go out there. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The the kindest rejection you can hope for is somebody clicking out of your story and not not interacting with it. My rule of thumb thumb (laughs) is if you have nothing nice to say, say nothing at all mm-hmm. so if mm-hmm. I find something that I don't like that to me is questionable mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to make I don't know the, the person on the other side of the screen I don't know what their skill level is I don't know what their age is maybe they're learning maybe um, they're they have so many typos because like me they're visually impaired um, maybe mm-hmm. they have some other learning disability and they're still trying to write. Maybe they're not a native speaker of that language and they're still doing their best. I don't mm-hmm. want to shit 
on people. Like I don't, I don't think it's, it doesn't bring you anything to just go to another person that you don't know the circumstances of and be rude. So if you don't like something, um, unless the person has said in the notes, I am, I am learning. So if you have constructive criticism, please let me know. Don't. Mm -hmm. Just. That's true. They haven't opened themselves up for that yet. Maybe they're not. It can really, it can make people like a a rude comment. uh, uh, Somebody, not just somebody saying, hey, you know, maybe in this paragraph you meant this word. I think you have a typo here. But something ruder can really can stop mm-hmm. people from writing altogether. Don't do that. Don't don't do that to people. No, that's true. Yeah. So it would be the cruelest thing to do to someone is basically they're at the beginning of their dream and they're um and you tell them something because you just think you're the shit but you're not and you basically destroy that dream and who are you to do that to somebody? You know, you have to you have to think of those consequences. It's just like, would you like if some random person you don't know came to you and said, oh, you wrote a story about, like, this character gets murdered, therefore you're a horrible person and you shouldn't exist. Like, how would you feel Mm -hmm. if somebody came to you and told you that because you wrote a story about that has some violence in it or obvious consent or something like that that it's tagged you know like everything's tagged like that's let's start from that assumption they, they tell you you're an horrible person you shouldn't exist because you wrote this like how would that make you feel to receive such a comment put you know yourself, i also wonder though if, were they told people. that themselves and so they're just passing along the love love in quotation marks <laughs> you know? I, I don't know i just feel like <laughs> put yourself in other people's shoes and, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it maybe cliched, but treat, treat other people the way, the way you, you'd want, you know, if you, if you, if you want people to treat you kindly, then they do the same, especially when you like always, but especially when you don't know somebody, it's, you don't go, you don't walk, no, you, don't walk pass, you don't walk outside, what you, want. you don't walk outside in, in your, city wherever city may that may be and spot the first person that walking toward you and go like hey you asshole you, you just don't do that usually so why do it online no you no you don't if you're rude yeah. maybe you treat people like that um but uh if if uh yeah if you if you wh- why would you why, why do it online what, what's different maybe it's because you're anonymous and so you feel like you you're protected, but yeah, I don't know. I just I don't do it. Be nice to people. Anonymity is a dangerous thing because then people feel like they can get away with calling you names, and you know maybe maybe that's a good reason for writers to like go. Oh, this guy can't even doesn't even, or this reader doesn't even have the courage to tell me their name while they basically belittle my work. So maybe that's a good way to try to get over yeah. the pain of it. Like, oh, they they can't even be honest about who they are. You know, not that you necessarily are honest yourself when you post because you might have some sort of cool um, moniker name. 
but you know, at least you're being honest about putting your work out there. Even if you are not ready to share who you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. So when you write, do you listen to any musics? And if you do, what kind of genres do you like to listen to? What's your, what's your writing ritual? Um, I tend not to listen to music if I, if I'm writing. Um, actually, I wrote about that um, for my patrons. I'm doing a writing tip um, once a month. I, I post about something. Uh, this month is going to be uh, what happens if you want to write, but the language is not your native language. Um, but the first time um, that the first... Um, article I wrote was about um, how to, to make time to write and how to start and, and the routine. And, and music, to me, um, if it's just uh, instrumental, I can have it um, underneath. If it's uh, music with words, sometimes I start writing the words of the song into the, it's happened, words of the song into the document, and then I stop and I'm like, what am I doing? Um, and it's distracting. Um, I do like to have a place where I write that's like a set place, or I have like one or two around the house that I like best. Mm-hmm. And um, even though I've learned, because sometimes I get really, this really good line when I'm in the shower, um, mm-hmm. I've learned to keep like an app on my phone where I can just write random, take random notes. And then use them when I, whenever, um, because otherwise I forget. But uh, but yeah, no music uh, for me mostly, unless it's uh, just instrumental. And in that case, um, video game music. Really? Yeah, just like I don't know the Halo soundtrack or or the um, the Witcher soundtrack, like some of those. Um, Assassin's Creed are some good ones. I'll have to check them out. Um, do you have any recommendations? Uh, I can. I have a playlist. I can send you a link if you want. Cool. Yes, please. I always like finding new instrumental music to listen to. So, is there any sort of physical attributes you like writing? Like maybe um, clocks or eyes or like locations? Um, so... I, because it's the first thing I noticed about a person and their voice. Um, <laughs> so that tends to bleed into my writing. Um, I spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time looking up cool ways to say that somebody has blue eyes or green eyes lately um, because I've been writing a lot of super corp and, you know, their eye color. Uh, mm-hmm. I like I like to describe voices um, and the way they, they, like, if it's rough, how, how is it rough? How is it low and sultry? But just describe it with like smiles. So is it is it rough like uh, a woodland path that's not paved, you know, what kind, that kind of description and um scent a lot. Um I think because of the way that I see the world 
or not see depending on how you look mm-hmm. at it um it tends to to also get into how i write description i i linger a lot on on the sense of smell or touch or what you feel with the rest of your senses instead of just describing how something looks like um and even then i have synesthesia so sometimes i smell colors or see sounds that's cool and that 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 tends to to get into incorporated into the way i write descriptions as well wow that's so neat i wish i had that that sounds awesome um it is and it isn't if you are in a place that's very crowded and very loud it can get overbearing um that's why i don't like to go into crowds um much like i don't i don't like i don't know open markets for example that much i can i have a limited time where i can stay in a crowded spot and then i have to leave because otherwise it gets i am too overwhelming too much too many stimulus uh stimuli all at once and i'm just like nope I'm on noping out of here. I can't take it anymore. So it is it is cool <laughs> like to close your eyes and you can tell if something is green or not by how it smells or how it, like, if it's like a mm, wall paint uh different pigments have different textures. So if I touch a wall I can tell you if it's white or blue or not uh even if I can see it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh it's really weird. Uh it weirds people out. Um but uh it, it can also be very um frustrating because you get too much information at once and it's not sometimes useful information that you get or your your brain doesn't parse what you perceive in a useful way and some lot of time untangling all of it to to make sense of what what's around you basically I see okay still sounds kind of cool but i understand that there are drawbacks uh, and, and maybe it, it, it seems does, like it? you're getting more sensations than you it, want it does doesn't it? it it sort of sounds like a bit super powery when you describe it like that but it it's really not it's just a, a weird I I've looked into it. I I don't I don't really understand it fully myself. It's it's uh it's it's how your brain parses information, basically. I think from what I understand, but I'm not a medical professional, so I I don't know. I know that there's an artist who uses what you have because she sees sound, so she like she paints what she sees, and the um the art I forgot her name is really quite um, interesting and like there's so much depth and it's just it's cool to think that there are people out there who get to see who get to live life in a way that they can see it you know because like I can't see sound sound makes doesn't have any sort of depth other than the noise I hear but to be able for someone who can see sound and then translate it into a 
into a medium that I can see too. I was like, wow, God, the human animal is just so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do for yourself for like self-care? I'm, I'm to like take care of yourself, especially now during the pandemic, there's just, it's so easy to get fatigued and, you know, forget that there's this big baddie out in the world. How do you kind of recharge your batteries and stuff? Um, for me, self-care it means workout most of the time. Um, I work out a lot. Um, in the summer, it meant a lot of biking around the um the area i'm lucky enough that we have uh, some really nice hills and some really nice scenery around where i live and so um a lot of the Mm -hmm. time it was just looking up trails and uh cycling paths or just not very you know secondary roads on i use Komoot, which is an app that uh is made specifically for runners, hikers, and people that do uh, on uh, on the road and off road biking. And it will show you all the paths, and it will show you the kind of terrain that you find in the gradients of of the hills. And it's very useful. Um, and uh, just put that on your phone, and basically just follow directions and go. Uh, that's what I've done for the majority of the summer. Um, I can uh, bike if I'm careful. Um, obviously, everyone should be careful, but me specifically, because I basically don't see out of my right eye. Um, so my field of vision is very reduced. And uh, um, learn to listen. you learn to listen a lot more. So don't, I don't, bi- like I see people biking with their headphones in and that scares me because basically, Mm-hmm. not safe um so so i've done I, I do that basically to recharge or meditation sometimes um and play video games when i can but when my eyes let me mainly because that's also you know staring at screens is what really uh can give me fatigue so i have to be careful with mm-hmm. that yeah that's understandable i mean all that light being blasted through to your eye directly can be difficult and um, dangerous too, especially if the blue light gets too high because then that ruins everyone's eyesight, not just people who already have that sort of challenge. So moving back to kind of Patreon, what are some tips you have for people who want to start one as a writer? Oh, The main one is that writing takes time and so decide beforehand on how many updates, on how many posts you can make feasibly in a month or a week, depending on what you want to do. Read all the guides that are available to people that want to become creators because uh, everything is explained pretty well and they have a lot of facts sections where you can go and they teach you how how everything works really um the first thing to nail down is how it all works and then 
it depends um, on what you want to write. If your content is uh, original work, um, it helps if you have a presence online already. So like if you start writing as a writer of fan fiction and so you get a presence on AO3 and like Tumblr, for example, and then at some point you decide that you want to start writing your own stories and you want to open a Patreon, then having people already liking your writing will help because some of them are just going to like what you write no matter what. And so you will get, you will already have an audience. Um, and I think the same actually goes for people that create other kind of content. Uh, like there's people that do uh, cooking recipes or, or uh, do your own tutorials with like writing and video. So being a writer on Patreon, it's not just, you write stories, you could write about, you know, education or write about uh, history, write about whatever really, um, even like just write guides on like IT uh, things. Uh, it just really helps if people know you beforehand, I believe, because if you've done it, whatever you've done for a time, um, for free, uh, whether have, it's having uh, an account on, on AO3 or, or fanfiction.net or, or having a blog or just writing on Tumblr mm -hmm. or, or having a WordPress, if you've done it for a time like that um, and you continue doing it, even as you have a patron, then people will be more inclined to, to, to support you so that you can write more content for everyone. If you have a if you already have a presence online. I think that's the, the main thing, um, really. So at what point when you started Patreon made you think that, yeah, I can start a Patreon page? You looked at your writing and you're like, I think this is something that um, people will, per uh, will receive well if I start my Patreon page. And was the growth kind of slow? What was it like? Um I think I started with like 33 patrons um, the first month, something like that, in that range of 30 or so people. Um, I had been writing consistently. I, I, I you know, I, as I said, I started writing when I was a teen. I, but when I started my Patreon page, I had been writing consistently for a year. I was active on Tumblr. I had started to gain a following, I guess you could say. And I thought, well, maybe now I have enough of a presence that some people would be interested in this. And it turned out that I was right. Um, I think it, uh, that's also, there's also a matter of luck because uh, I've seen other creators yeah. um, do everything right, even better than the top creators that I know off the top of my head and their pages that just didn't take off. And it's just much mm -hmm. like for anything that you put out there, a question of time and place and luck. And you could be doing everything right, but at that time, the market might be oversaturated or there might just be not much of an interest 
in that moment, in that, mm-hmm. in that time, that moment that you start. And so your growth may be very slow. And someone mm-hmm. else comes along three months later after you started and you just see them explode. And they've done, they, they've done what you've done, but there's just, it's gone better. And it's not like you're, you're not, you know, you don't, you can't expect your growth to be similar to that of other creators. It all really depends on, there's a lot of factors, how you engage, how you market yourself. Um, it's work. Um, you have to a lot yeah. sometimes. Uh, you know, writing, you, you know, running a podcast, uh, how much time it takes to get your content and, and get your, um, ask people to be on it or just even decide of what you want to talk about on a given week, right? And, and, and then starting from there, all the work of editing and whatnot. Yeah. So having a Patreon page just takes a lot of work. So, yeah. And so you really shouldn't expect it to take off really quickly. You should like expect it to sort of build slowly more, um, realistically than anything i think realistically from what i've seen it starts slow and then it builds over time and then you may have some months where you get 40 50 new subscribers in a month and then you have a month where you get five and it's absolutely normal i wouldn't i I don't okay i don't you know um a lot of the big, let's not forget that a lot of big creators are people that come from YouTube and have millions of YouTube subscribers by the time they open a Patreon. So when that translates to having 10,000 Patreon subscribers, that's a success. But you have millions on it on, on YouTube. So like, compare that to the numbers that you can have on any writing website no matter what you're writing about uh, realistically speaking the numbers are going to be smaller and it's going to go slower that makes sense i mean it takes time to build stuff but eventually your content will start to reach more people and then they might want to help you be able to survive and pay your bills yeah and then you know like this year some the way Patreon is for some people, it's like having Netflix. I think mm-hmm. so. It's an extra, and if we fall on our on on our times, the first thing that we cut is our extras. So mm-hmm. sometimes people that want to support you can't because they have bills to pay themselves. So. I I have to say, as a Patreon subscriber myself, I will cut Netflix before (laughs) I would cut Patreon only because, well, no, because like I subscribe to you on Patreon. So, and the fact that I'm now talking to you makes it a little harder for me to go, you know what, I really want to still help her. She's someone I'm getting to know that she's, you know, this is an actual person that I'm helping. Like if I was to subscribe to Patreon and I was going to do it to like maybe a more one that's like business oriented I think I would be willing to drop them but since I it's a person and I want to help 
another person, I'd willingly drop Netflix before I would drop any of the Patreon subscribe the Patreons I subscribe to and I yeah no I, I to get like what six, you mean so. and I I agree like when I can I support other creators um when when I'm able to and I'd rather always even when I'm buying things uh, buy from an independent uh owner or mm-hmm. buying from a small bookstore or from an Etsy shop if it's feasible, then buy from, say, Amazon. Because I know behind the mm-hmm. small bookstore or the indie shop or the, you know, the, the Etsy per, uh, front store or a, a Patreon page, there's one person most of the time. So, I don't know. It, like you said, whereas like Netflix is, or Amazon or any of big things is a corporation. And yeah, you still like getting you know i i don't live under the illusion that any of the money i ever spent on amazon actually goes to an amazon worker because it doesn't <laughs> well, not much, much of it, it you know i mean definitely not so, much so. amazon's a titan right now so <laughs> let's not talk too no 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 <laughs> no 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 but i mean no i i use it it's not like but like you said if if i can choose to help small independent creators, I will, especially when they're creating things that I don't find in mainstream media mm-hmm. or or, uh, or or similar. Have you ever had a request from someone that you just absolutely love and you kind of ran with it? Yes. Um, that happened recently. Uh, with uh, Please Do Not Disturb, which I did not expect to turn into 10K of porn without plot uh-huh. because the request that I got was very self-contained, but I just, there was so much comedic, comedic and smart potential that I just ran with it for for, for 10K. And I, I stopped and I was like, I looked at the word count and I was like, whoops happen sometimes as a fanfic writer have you ever and you know posting on al3 where it's basically something that you're doing more as a hobby and something that you do because you have a passion for it do you ever get like readers who just are a little bit more demanding or not understanding about what it's like writing fan fiction and then also maybe having a life outside of fan fiction? Um, I think everyone gets those um, people that will, you will post um, a chapter. I, I am sure that's happened to you as well. You post something and you get a bunch of comments that are about what you posted. Um, mm-hmm either quoting it back at you or telling you what they like or just saying, I like this, thank you. And then occasionally you get a comment that's like, please update or please more. And you're like, I just did update. And some people, some people genuinely, I've come to understand that some people genuinely write, please update soon because they're excited, like it, it's just their way of leaving you extra kudos. 
but there are a few people that it comes and and so for the majority i'm like but i just did but it doesn't really bother me that much but sometimes it's worded in a way where it feels aggressive it feels like yeah you just update but it's it's you don't update often enough and you know yeah, I know from my flying frenzy, which is turning out to be quite the fan uh, fan favorite. Um, they're like constantly more and more and more longer paragraphs uh, or longer chapters, and I'm like, these are as long as I can make them. I'm so sorry, but because um, I had at the beginning of the story had like six chapters, and then I'm like, okay, I can pull this out a little longer, and then I made eight chapters, and then I'm like, I can actually make this longer. So I, then I just went to the question mark, and they were like, yes, thank you. And so I, it, it's fun interacting with fans who, or readers who like that. And then you're like, and you read their comments, you're like, oh, that's a really good idea. Maybe I can work that into the story. And, you know, and then sometimes they're me, but not, no one's been that way on this fic. So it's been, it's been nice to, it, it's nice to be able to engage with your, um, your reader base, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and most people, I find that uh, if somebody, uh, even on Tumblr, asks you, hey, when you're going to update this particular thing, and you're like, well, I want to update, but this and this and this happened, 99% of the time, people are super understanding about why something is not being updated for maybe a month, mm-hmm. or why something isn't, you know, or, or why, like, because we, especially this year, I find... Like for me, the pandemic made me more creative. Like I wrote mm-hmm. a lot more, but I know that, and and that's always been the case with me. Though when I go through hardship, I write more. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to write less when I'm happy, but I know maybe because I have to vent about. But I know that for some people, it's been really hard to be creative this year because they had so much to worry about that they just couldn't and that's fine too you know we, we all react differently and as I said before you never know what's going on in somebody's life and whatever whatever somebody shares with us and I include myself when I read it, it's just a gift and just I take it when it's offered and if I'm sad usually I worry if somebody that I'm that, that I follow the story that doesn't they don't update for a, a couple of months and they've been sort of constant more or less I kind of worry for them I hope they're okay mm-hmm. but um I don't I, I don't unless it's somebody that I know I don't go and ask if they're okay because I don't want to come off as I'm only asking you because I care about your your story that you're telling but I genuinely worry about people that stop updating all of a sudden um, and I yeah, just, I just know. assume they'll be back when they can, you know, but there's always that, oh, I'm worried about this person. I wonder what's going on in their life, you know. Especially now during the pandemic, like you always have that niggling feeling like, oh, my God, or at least I'm having those niggling feelings sometimes or like, oh, my God, they haven't updated in a while. They used to be very consistent. And then they kind of dropped off the face of the earth. And you're like, I hope they're OK. And then, yeah, I have had to stop myself from messaging them. Hey, are you okay? Your story's really awesome. Will you be updating it again? Because then you don't want to seem like you're pushy. 
even though it's like an awesome story and you really do care. Another story you've written that I really enjoy is Hunter Green. Can you talk a little bit about it? It's a weird story because for me, it feels almost like every chapter is self-contained in a sense. And so whenever I get a new idea for it, I'll write a chapter. But it's not, it doesn't have an overreaching arc. It's more a, a series of, it's like the best uh, comparison I can make is like when you're going through a photo album and you see all these moments in time and that story is kind of mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, there is, you know, the, the, the overreaching thread is like healing for Kara and mm-hmm. getting more assured in their relationship with Lena and growing together and exploring things together. But the chapters are not, they're chronologically ordered, but they're not necessarily tightly threaded together as other stories. So, yeah. The the trauma that Kara went through and then she assimilated and she was able to absorb and then how Lena was so thoughtful and became this anchor that she could rely on, but also try to help her be able to stand on her own. I thought was, I think is very sweet. And sometimes people just want to come in to save you without also trying to help you save yourself in a way. And I thought the story did a really good job of, yes, I'm here for you. You can call me no matter what. And then she's starting to help Kara be able to not need her so much, but create sort of like a more interdependent relationship as opposed to like a dependent relationship. So you can see that she's got this this uh this goal for Kara and she's doing the best she can to help Kara get there and I think that's I I like those kind of stories the ones that offer that kind of thing I'm glad that you picked up on that because for example in the the part where at some point Kara there's this thing that happens and she has sort of like a breakdown and it and then she's like, I can't go on like this. I, I need to go to therapy, I think. I wanted mm-hmm. it to be Kara that says that because if it was Lena deciding for Kara, well, maybe you should go to therapy, that, that's a sign of codependence. Like I'm making major decisions for you. Whereas a healthy dynamic for me was Lena saying, I'll be there if you want me to come with you. I'll be there so that when you come out of your appointment, there you won't be alone. You won't have to come home by yourself. I'll be there to take you home. But I wanted it to be Kara realizing that she needed external help, that she couldn't do it on her own and she couldn't put it on Lena because Lena is her sort of girlfriend uh, at that point. They're, you know, they're getting there, but she she can't put that kind of burden on Lena to, to decide for her. It's something that you have to decide for yourself. And and I wanted that to be a moment of agency for Kara saying, well, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm broken and I want to get help and it's my decision to go get help. And the other person is like, I'll be there for you, but it's your decision. I, I just And she no longer, she no longer associated her brokenness with shame. Like she just, 
she realized like I'm broken, but I can fix this myself, you know, as opposed to just feeling like she's less than or lacking because of what happened to her. And, you know, yes, for a sec- for a mo- moment you were broken, but that doesn't mean that you're less than or lacking. It just means that at this moment you need this, but there are people who can help you. I feel that the moment where she stops blaming herself for Veronica's actions and, and realizes that mm-hmm. she she's feeling guilty for some something somebody else did to her, which is mm-hmm. not a guilt that you should bear as a person. Like, you can't be responsible and guilty for the things people do to you. You can only be responsible for how you react to the things that are done to you. Mm-hmm. And And I think that the moment when the shift happens, when she's like, okay, I don't want to feel guilty anymore. How do I stop? You know? Yeah. And having the self agency to realize, Oh, I can get help for this. And my girlfriend, whatever Lena is at that moment is there for me. And you know, when you, when even in real life, when you have someone who's like that, who's got your back and, accepts you as you are in that moment it's a very powerful thing to be able to stand against and move forward with i think i agree so what are some future plans you have going on outside of fan fiction or with fan fiction maybe something in um you're looking forward to starting to do and you want to share with the audience today uh we with fan fiction, I have a few more historical AUs that I want to share. Um, one of which is hopefully a one shot. I'll buy a long one shot. <laughs> and two of which I know are going to be multi chapters because one is I'm going to go ahead and redo a and redo uh, the Trojan War. Um, but Ooh. make it super corp. And the other one <laughs> is uh, I have this medieval uh, witch hunter Kara Witcherina enemies to, uh-huh. to lovers um, uh-huh. thing in my head. I've had it for like six months. Uh, for that I want to do, and and there's more. There's like the venom AU that I've been promising I do. Uh, people that do for a while so uh, yeah that I want to finish a few things first though mm, namely mm-hmm. I'll I'll fly back to you is not maybe 10 chapters at most okay. and uh, the Gorgon AU I think it's between 10 and 15 chapters that's a bit longer uh, mm-hmm. So, so man, I can't wait to see how that turns out. Um, the only thing I'll say is, it, it, you will all hate me for a bit. It it it's good. Like it's, it's you know you know me. I I make people go mm-hmm. through a lot of angst. So mm-hmm. the good redeeming part is that the snakes are there and they're gonna offer more cute moments but there's gonna be a lot of angst just 
a lot there's gonna be some sexy parts but there's also gonna be things uh-huh. and I think people are gonna be detest me a little bit every now and then especially because I have a few cliffhangers and yeah Okay, all my lovely listeners, it's time now for the more explicit portion of the conversation. So if it's not your cup of tea, thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to connect with Kendrine, check out the episode description for more information. You and Evangelion both write BDSM, and it's something that you both engage in real life. Are there any, do you have any top three um, favorite kinks? Uh, yes. Um, so my top three are, um, nice play, uh, wax play and, uh, rope play. Well, then there's impact play, I guess, and rope play are kind of on the same level. So what is it about those that are your favorite? It's something that's, uh, actually pretty to put into words. Um, I think for blood play um, is the sense of uh, controlled danger, so to speak. Um, so it's like a thrill. Yeah. Um, and also, um, because I am unfortunately in pain all the time um, uh-huh. because of scarring inside my uh, my right eye, Um the fact that when I engage as a receiver in BDSM, I choose the pain that I, you know, the, the gradient and, and the, the kind. Whereas when in, in my normal life, I guess I just endure the pain um, without much recourse. So it's uh, liberating in a sense, I guess. So it's like you're controlling the pain because... It's something that you're seeking as opposed to something that's constant in your body. Exactly. So you also write BDSM, which is great. I, I enjoy those um, aspects of it and under learning and understanding a different kind of way of life that can <clears throat> be taboo sometimes. Have you ever gotten kink requests that were just a little too out of your realm of comfort? Um. Luckily, no, uh, because I am very, when, when people do ask me um, if I, if I dra- write something, I have been very specific about my list of hard limits, so, and people have been respectful of that, so I've never gotten people to request me things that I'm not comfortable with. That's good. It's nice that they're able to respect your boundaries, especially since it's so easy in this kind of realm that we're in to kind of push boundaries without meaning to. But I think the fact that your limits are so set and they're, like you say, hard limits, it's easier to respect them, maybe. Okay, everyone, that's our show for today. I want to thank Kendrine for coming on. And if you ever decide to write an original work, I hope you will come back and share it with us. Definitely love to, and uh, thank you for having me today. Also, don't forget to subscribe and tune in on January 2nd to find out which new fandom creator I will be chatting with. Until next time, thank you for listening.